I hope you're having a good Independence Day. I'm looking forward tonight to watching uh, fireworks <clears throat> on the East River. Um, July 4th was my grandmother's favorite holiday. My grandmother came over from Poland. Um, she spoke with a thick Yiddish accent. Uh, she didn't know very much about American history, but she loved America. Uh, she would love taking us to the Statue of Liberty and explaining how important the Statue of Liberty was to her when she saw that great lady beckoning her to America, give us your tired, your hungry, your poor. She was all of those things. She was uh, 15 years old when she was called to America to marry my, my grandfather, whose wife, her sister, had died in childbirth. And, uh, she came totally unprepared to be an American and um, lived to her 90s and, and was a great, great American, uh, American patriot. So I love, I love uh, of July 4th. And I particularly love July 4th at a time like this, when we're divided about so many things. One hopes that July 4th can help unite us at least around the most important virtues that America has. Look, if you want proof that we're the greatest country in the history of the world, just look at immigration. Everybody wants to come to America. What's the most valuable prize today in the world? American citizenship. Uh, people are not clamoring to go to other countries as they are to go to America. Tragically, people die um, to get to um, America. Um, people who were kept out of America in the 1920s, 1930s, and then ultimately in the 1940s died in Europe during the Holocaust. Um, so America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. And, and that's all true. And notwithstanding the fact that I disagree with the Supreme Court on this, and I disagree with President Biden on this, and I disagree with Donald Trump on this, and I disagree with the Republicans on that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a skeptic. I disagree with everybody about everything, but I love America, and I will always love America. I uh, have a special T-shirt that I'm wearing tonight, uh, and it says, A House Divided Itself Cannot Stand uh, by Abraham Lincoln. I'm going to show you a brief written by Abraham Lincoln in a, in a few minutes. So, uh, today, uh, there's plenty of news. I can talk about plenty of things. I'll talk about them tomorrow. The the review by the United States of the bullet that killed the Palestinian journalist, what to make of that, uh, the shooting in uh, the suburb of, of Chicago. We'll have plenty of time for that. Today, I want to only talk about themes that unite us, that bring us together, that help us celebrate uh, this uh, this great country. And so, I went to my vault where I keep these things and I brought out some of the letters from my collection. I collect um, patriotic um, uh, memorabilia of um, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War um, and, and America. I, I love that. And for the last 40 or 50 years, I've been collecting. I, I go to antique shops. I go to flea markets. Um, some of my best Purchases have been in, in, in flea markets. I'll, I'll show you uh, one of them. Um, auctions, sometimes I pay very little, like I did for this book that I'll show you in a minute uh, from the flea market. Sometimes I pay a lot more, as I did for this letter I'm going to show you right now. So I'm going to start at the beginning. Um, obviously, the beginning is the Declaration of Independence over my shoulder. I've previously shown you a, an early copy of the Declaration of, of independence. Um, and this is interesting. This is the first printing of the Declaration of Independence um, in, in Britain. And it was printed 
just right after the Declaration in August of 1776 in a magazine called the Gentleman's Magazine. And, and part of the Gentleman's Magazine was a printing of the Declaration of Independence, the first printing uh, ever. And interestingly enough, the name King George is not mentioned in the printing. It's left out. It's a blank because obviously the Declaration of Independence um, um, catalogs all the evils that King George had done. And for uh, a British magazine to list those evils and attribute them to King George would be treason. So it just says he, 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 and leaves out any reference to King George. So it's an interesting, an interesting thing. So we start with the Declaration of Independence at 1776. Let's turn now to 1777. And let's go to uh, George Washington's headquarters in Morristown, New Jersey, on March 15th. 1977, uh, George Washington was dictating a very, very important letter to his aide-de-camp, and um, this is the actual letter in his, in his own hand. Uh, you can see on the bottom, big flourishing signature, G. Washington, uh, your obedient servant, and the letter contains some very interesting information, but what's most interesting about it is who wrote the letter. Washington dictated it, but he dictated it to his aide-de-camp. And who was that aide-de-camp whose actual calligraphy and handwriting is in this letter? Well, he was a 20-year-old kid, maybe 22. We're not sure exactly when he was born. And you know his name. His name was Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, Alexander Hamilton. That's the guy. He was the secretary. So this is a letter by George Washington, signed by George Washington, written in the hand of Alexander Hamilton. It is so it is so close to my heart because those are two of obviously the most important founders of the United States of America. 20 years old, he becomes aide de camp, maybe 22. He was born on the Isle of Nevis and nobody's sure if it was uh, 55, 1755 or 1757. Um, um, but if it was 1757, he's 20 years old. And if it was 17, just 20. And if it was 1755, uh, he's 22 years old. Uh, shortly thereafter, he be becomes aide of camp. And then he himself is involved in a major battle in which he takes a leadership role and, and wins. And then he helps, of course, plan the evacuation of Brooklyn, uh, where the British troops were planning to really destroy the Revolutionary Army under George Washington. And um, by fog of night, they made it across the East River right in front of my house. Uh, they crossed over. Um, we now call it Roosevelt Island, but uh, that was the route of escape, and they escaped and they made it up into the into the forest, and the forest of Harlem. Now it's no longer a forest; it's a beautiful residential neighborhood now. But um, uh, back in the day of the Revolution, when Alexander Hamilton was advising General Washington, uh, it was the forests of, of Harlem that he advised them to go to. Now the content of the letter is interesting for two reasons. Number one, it shows that Washington was not a distant general. He was micromanaging everything. The content of the letter is telling them where to put the magazines, what to do with this, what to do with that, how to move the troops, take the troops out of here, move them to there. He was a guy <clears throat> who was in control. He was in total control. He was getting pretty good advice from this young kid who was whispering in his ear and taking down his dictation. But it was Washington who was making the decision. But I want to read you just one paragraph from the letter which is so relevant to today. 
So he's writing about all these things, military, this military, that. And he interrupts that writing. And he says, I do not find, this is to another general, I do not find any mention of inoculation of in your letter. Uh, this is an object of great importance. And what I want to claim your first attention, um, I must repeat my request that it may not be delayed a moment longer. In a previous letter, Washington had said, look, we're not going to lose this war to British soldiers, but we may lose it to smallpox. Um, many, many soldiers had developed smallpox. It was spreading like mad. Smallpox, of course, was fatal for many and disabling for others. And uh, they had had an early, early inoculation program developed on fairly primitive methods of really taking a little bit of smallpox and injecting it and hoping that you'd build immunity to it. And, it, you know, in a primitive way, it worked. It probably had some casualties. But here we have the future president of the United States, the leader, the general, commanding, not advising, commanding his troops. They must get inoculated. No dissent, no religious objection, no we're worried, no Fox News says we shouldn't use it. No, you're in the army. you got to be inoculated. You've got to receive a vaccine. Now, that doesn't prove that it's constitutional for the government to order every American not in the army to get a vaccine, but it's relevant. It's relevant to how the founding fathers viewed the obligation of people to avoid spreading disease at a time when the spread of a disease could cost us the revolution. And remember what the stakes were. We remember George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and Jefferson and Madison, you know what would have happened to them if we had lost the revolution? They all would have been hanged for, for treason. The Declaration of Independence was the treasonous document. It was race ipsa loquita. The thing speaks for itself. That document is treason. And uh, it doesn't cite any law. You know, it cites natural law, God, uh, creator. Of course it did, because there was no law to cite. So the stakes were pretty darn high. If the Americans lost the revolution, many of them would have lost their lives. That's why they were Tories. That's why they were, you know, the street I lived on for many years when I taught at Harvard was called Brattle Street. Its previous name was Tory Road because all the rich people lived there. And at the time of the revolution, a lot of the rich people didn't want to take a chance and, and revolt. As soon as they won the war, many of them said, oh, we didn't really mean it. But some of them actually went back to Brooklyn. Some... Britain, some of them went to Canada, um, and um, but many of them stayed and, and became patriots after having been uh, Tories in, in the beginning. So this is my, my first letter, my, my Washington letter. It's a, it's a real prize. Uh, it took me a long time to get it. I, I've tr been trying to get this letter or letters like it uh, by Washington in the hand of Hamilton. I would say for 10 years, I've been on auctions. I've um, tried my best to buy it in various places. I almost got one once, and then I found that it had been sold to a museum, to an institution. Um, but this time I got it. I got it. I have it. It's now part of my permanent collection. Someday maybe it will go to the Smithsonian or to some major university collection. But it's an extremely uh, interesting and important letter from the founding father of the of the United States. 
So speaking of Hamilton, the next thing I want to show you, this is simply a newspaper. Looks like it's pretty innocent. It's uh, called the, the Report to Ray. But what it is, is it contains in it every single letter written between General, at that point, Alexander Hamilton and the Vice President of the United States, Aaron Burr. And it's a series of a dozen or so letters leading up to the tragic and fatal duel in which Alexander Hamilton lost his life at a very, very young age following his son stupidly engaging in a duel and losing his life. And when you read these letters, it's, it's quite remarkable. They're all contained in this old newspaper, which uh, was printed right after the, uh, the death. It's July 24th, 1804. We, we tend to forget that, you know, when Burr killed Hamilton, he was the president of the United States. And, you know, the question often arises, can a president or a vice president be tried? Hmm? You said the president, the vice president. He was the vice president of the United States. Yeah. Can a president or a vice president be tried uh, for a crime committed while he was the vice president? Well, as you probably know, the reason that the duel took place in what we used to call Jersey, New Jersey, um, um, right on the Palisades, was New York uh, punished dueling and uh, didn't allow it. Now, so did New Jersey. It was against the law in New Jersey. But New Jersey was the Wild West. Um, and even the eastern part of New Jersey, right on the Palisades. And so often duels were fought in New Jersey to avoid the wrath of uh, New York and the law of New York. And of course, Hamilton was killed in, in New Jersey and then rode back to shore in the United States where he died um, uh, within hours of being shot by one bullet and landing, I think, in his thigh. So that's this letter, which is which is quite quite remarkable. Take good care of it. Uh, okay. Now, what, what's the next thing I wanted to show you? Um, that is uh, our next founding father, uh, Thomas Jefferson. What was he doing in 1776? He was also a kid. He was a, a pretty young guy. Um, he had been active, of course, in Virginia politics. And then he uh, came to the Constitutional Convention, and uh, he wasn't at the Constitutional Convention. He was at the uh, the Declaration of Independence. Here, I'll hold it. I'll hold it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, he um, he um, um, was assigned. They appointed a committee on Jan on, on July second. They declared independence, and 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 John Adams wrote to his wife saying, "Americans will long celebrate July second. Every year on July 2nd, there'll be fireworks. He didn't talk about hot dogs, but he said fireworks and, and marches and demonstrations and guns will be shot. July 2nd, that's the day. That's the day. No, 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 no. On July 2nd, they voted to declare independence, but they didn't accept the Declaration of Independence until July 4th. And the Declaration of Independence was prepared by a committee. Thomas Jefferson was regarded as the pen of the revolution. Uh, he was a terrible speaker. He couldn't talk very well at all. He almost never spoke. He didn't even deliver the State of the Union message orally. Uh, he was a writer, not a speaker. He was shy. He had a terrible high-pitched voice like Mike Tyson. Um, and um, he, um, he was assigned to write. And, and so was John Adams. John Adams was a senior. And uh, there was a committee of other people doing it. 
And I also have not an original copy, but a copy shortly after um, of the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, which included um, uh, blaming the um, uh, king for slavery. And this is written by Thomas Jefferson on a desk brought to him by his slave. And he's writing on the desk brought to him by his slave condemning slavery and saying it was the fault of the king. Well, it was, of course, the fault of the king. They permitted slavery and encouraged uh, the importation of slaves to the colonies in the United States. But the committee uh, recommendation was rejected by the Congress, and uh, they struck that part of it because they thought, uh, to use a current day word, it would take a lot of chutzpah to blame the king for slavery at a time when we had hundreds of thousands of slaves in the United States and the Southern economy was built so heavily on slavery. So that was, that was, that was cut out. But the Declaration of Independence was signed, that treasonous document, um, big bold signature by John Hancock so that uh, King George could read it without putting on his glasses. Uh, again, the arrogance, the great arrogance of some of our founding fathers is absolutely remarkable. Now, I have another letter that I bought recently, uh, only a newspaper account of the letter, not a real letter, by, 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 by Burke, who was a great member of parliament who supported the American cause. And uh, this is a letter written early in 1776, I think in January of 1776. And it, uh, it's a speech. He wrote it and then he delivered it, uh, like a six-hour speech, which is what they used to do in parliament. And he urged the, the British government to recognize American independence. And the one thing he said in the speech, which I was shocked to see, is that he predicted that the Americans, the colonists, would win the war. That although there was overwhelming force by the, by the British, that um, it was away from home. Uh, Americans knew their land. Uh, they were determined to win. Um, and uh, he predicted they would win. And he thought there would be casualties on the part of Great Britain. So he actually told the British in their own self-interest, please free the colonies. Of course, they wouldn't do it. And ultimately, we know what happened. The Boston Massacre, Sam Adams, who um, was even more revolutionary than John Adams. Uh, ultimately, that's what happened. And then just to skip forward a little bit, um, we see George Washington's elected, serves uh, two terms. Uh, everybody wants him to stay on for a third term. And he says, no, there's nothing in the Constitution prohibiting me from doing it, but two terms is enough, establishing a tradition that lasted until Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who ran for four uh, terms in office. So, uh, so two terms of George Washington. He succeeded then by another member of, there were no parties in those days, and Washington refused to join a party. He, he was against parties. But um, Hamilton founded the first party, and it would be comparable to what the Republican Party is today, a more conservative party. And Jefferson then reacted by founding another party called, ironically, the Republican Democrats or the Democrat Republicans. Uh, names changed, but uh, they included both concepts in their name. And Adams Party, Washington was a fellow traveler, and if he didn't join it, it was the Federalist Party. And Adams ran in the second election and won, and he became the president for one term, for one term. And then um, Jefferson became president. We'll get back to that in a minute. But this is the, really the prize of my collection. I actually value this more than the Washington letter. This is a letter written in the hand of Thomas Jefferson, 
you can be sure it's not Hamilton. It has Thomas Jefferson's signature three times on it, one in the free frank, and the other, it says Thomas Jefferson writes, and then it, uh, it uh, concludes, signed Thomas Jefferson. And the content of the letter is what makes it so valuable. It's, it's probably one of the most important letters in the history of freedom of speech. It's a letter in which I wrote a whole book about it. I found, my son and I found this letter in a bookstore in New York, the Argosy Bookstore. The woman had just gotten it from the family to whom it had been sent. It had never been available to the public. It had been sent by Thomas Jefferson to the Griswold family in Connecticut and kept by the Griswold family. And then we don't know, divorce, death, something happened and somebody sold the letter to the bookstore and then I bought it. And I bought it on a Friday, and by Monday, I'd written 10,000 words uh, of a book called Finding Jefferson. And the book got terrific, terrific notices. It was, it was praised by Bill Clinton and David McCulloch and Doris Kearns and, and others. And it became Amazon, I think, number one bestseller for a, a while. These things go up and down, of course. And um, so that's the letter on which the book is based, and it's it's just just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, letter. So let's go back for a minute, though, to why uh, Adams uh, lost re-election. He wanted to run a second term. He did run a second term. And he was bit, beaten pretty overwhelmingly by the um, uh, party of, uh, of Jefferson and Burr. Of course, there was a mess up in the Constitution, which had to be fixed by the 12th Amendment. Uh, but what happened is uh, electors, voted and you voted for president and vice president, but you voted for them kind of separately. And Burr was supposed to be vice president and Jefferson was supposed to be president. And the two of them together won, but they got an equal number of votes because everybody who voted for Jefferson for president voted for Burr for vice president. And if you saw the play Hamilton, you know, it really was very difficult and went to many, 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 many ballots. And then the stalemate eventually was broken by one of the most heroic and self-sacrificing moves imaginable, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton, who hated uh, Jefferson as a person, um, um, said that it would be less worse for Jefferson to be president than Burr. He said, although Jefferson has terrible policies, uh, he's a man of, of principle and honor, and, and Burr was not. And so he cast his lot with Jefferson, and so the electors who were part of his party um, voted for Jefferson, and Jefferson became the third president of the United States. Now, now, why didn't Adams win? Well, part of the reason, and here's in in this little letter, uh, which I have a copy of, um, an original um, book pamphlet written by Alexander Hamilton. It's the letter from Alexander Hamilton concerning the public conduct and character of John Adams Esquire, president of the United States, written in the year of the election, written in 1800. That's the year he was November, going to run for re-election. And Hamilton, as was the want of the day, writes a long pamphlet, 53-page pamphlet, in which he really just totally attacks the character of Adams. Two things happened as a result of this letter. Number one, it, I think, ruined any chances Hamilton might have had 
of being president, but it also ruined the chances that Adams could again be elected um, a president. Well, a a Hamilton had already hurt his chances previously because you probably know the story. You certainly know the story if you saw Hamilton. I've known the story well before that. Um, Alexander Hamilton was Secretary of the Treasury, married man, you know, the Schuyler family. You, you remember it all from Hamilton. Um, and beautiful wife, children, everything. But he was a man, and he was a man away from his wife. His wife lived, you know, upstate and up the Hudson, and he was alone in, in this urban part of New York called Wall Street, um, where they all lived. You know, New York City basically ended at 14th Street in those days. Anything north of 14th Street was the country. So uh, he was there, and into his office comes this beautiful young married woman asking for some help on some matter, but obviously it was a pretense, and she seduced him, and they had sex, and they had an affair. And her husband knew all about it. He sent her. He sent her to entrap Hamilton in order to extort money from him. And uh, it was a shakedown. And Hamilton paid the money. And it was all a secret. And then he wasn't satisfied, the husband. And he came back and said, I want more money. And if you don't give me the more money, I will not only say that you seduced my wife, adultery, which was then a felony, by the way, but... I will say that you paid me my first shakedown money from treasury funds, which would make you into not only a felon, but impeachable, high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, obviously, if you're the secretary of the treasury and you're stealing money from the treasury to pay for an affair, it's not Clinton. Clinton was a low crime and misdemeanor. This would have been a high crime and misdemeanor. And of course, Hamilton wrote in the Federalist Papers all about high crimes and misdemeanors. He wrote that section. I quoted it when I defended President Trump in front of the in front of the Senate. Hamilton says, enough's enough. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pay the money. Get the hell out of here. And he said, all right, I'm going to expose it. And Hamilton beat him to the punch. And he, as again was his want, sat down and in, in just a, a few days managed to compose a um, um, long, long um, uh, letter. Uh, which was a, um, a, a pamphlet. This was 37 pages with about 100 pages of appendices proving the point. Hold it, uh, yeah. hold it higher. Oh, okay, hold it higher. Here it is. Uh, and it's called uh, Observations on Certain Documents Contained in the History of the United States, Charges of Speculation uh, Against Alexander Hamilton, late Secretary of the Treasury, he wrote it after he was Secretary of the Treasury, is fully refuted, written by himself. I don't want to compare myself to Hamilton, but you know, when I was falsely accused, I immediately wrote a book called Guilt by Accusation, where I absolutely disproved every possible uh, charge and you know, quoted tape recordings and everything of the people admitting um, that, uh, or by her lawyer, that, that she was wrong, simply wrong. So I followed Alexander Hamilton's uh, footsteps, but by writing this, he admitted the affair, he admitted the adultery, and that hurt his chances of becoming president of the United States. Would he have ever become president had he not in, been killed in the duel? I don't think so. Not sure. He was, you know, in his early 50s, I think, when he was killed. And so it's possible he could have been uh, president, but, uh, but I think these 
these two letters. I mean, he may have written a little, uh, a little too much. So we don't have too much time left, and I wanted to go over a bunch of more things. We'll have to find another time to do this. This is a great book. This is the book that started it all. This is an original copy of Common Sense by Thomas Paine. Common Sense, addressed to the inhabitants of America on the following subjects. And, uh, and he, you know, urges revolution, independence. So this is Common Sense by, by Thomas Paine. Um, a few more things, and then, then we'll, we'll do other stuff on, on different days. Um, one of the founding fathers, of course, is James Madison. Haven't been able to find a great James Madison letter. This is a letter signed by James Madison after he was president. And the reason I love it, it's about collecting letters and autographs. And he wrote to somebody helping him collect autographs, helping him in that quest. So that that is that. Oh, this is interesting. This is a $7 bill uh, during the revolution before the United States is really the United States. And why do I have it? because it is signed by a guy named Levy. This is the first bit of American currency ever signed by a Jew. And uh, uh, he was, I think, a commander in the Navy. I don't remember exactly. But here's uh, a $7 bill signed by, by a Jewish uh, patriot. Um, this is an interesting letter. I'm not going to have time to go over it. It's a handwritten letter by John Marshall. Uh, who was, of course, the first chief, the fourth chief justice of the United States. It's very hard to read. It's not in great condition, but it's about the Constitutional Convention. Uh, he was also a young lawyer active in creating the Constitution. So he not only construed and interpreted the Constitution as chief justice, he played a role in its formulation as well. And then I think finally for today, this is a jury verdict, an actual jury verdict in a case involving an American citizen, probably lived on Brattle Street for all I know, who served as a spy for the British. And he was convicted. It doesn't carry, doesn't say the sentence. Probably the judge gave the sentence, but it's signed by all the jurors. And it shows that he was uh, convicted of this uh, serious, of the serious uh, crime. So that's my, my little history uh, seminar, uh, or maybe show and tell, uh, for the day, uh, as I said before, I love America. I love holding on to a piece of paper that George Washington touched, that Alexander Hamilton touched. It sends a real thrill, you know, through my body. Uh, I also have a brief that Abraham Lincoln wrote in his own hand. Um, these are things that are so meaningful to me. I've devoted my life trying to protect and defend the Constitution from both sides, um, from the right, from the left, from the center. Um, and uh, I never take political positions when it comes to the Constitution. And so I want to feel close to the con Constitution. And these books and these letters and these newspapers bring me as close to the Constitution as I could possibly be. And I love July 4th. And I'm looking forward to seeing fireworks. I'm, um, I'm, I'm hoping there won't be any more tragedies of the kind that have occurred outside of Chicago, we're entitled to celebrate. You know, this is a tough time for America. This is a tough time for the world. We're going through a very, very bad period. You know, I'm going to be 84 in two months, and I have a long memory. I have a really good memory. And I, I remember McCarthyism and how divided we were. 
I remember the 60s. You know, people think I'm a leftist. I was so against what was going on in the 60s. I hated these radicals. Yeah, I defended them in court just the way I defended President Trump in court, just the way John Adams defended the people who were charged with the Boston massacre in court. But that's not my politics. That's my responsibility as a, as a lawyer. So I'm going to continue to love America, to be a patriotic American, um, to be critical of those who I think abuse the Constitution on, on either side. And whenever I kind of lose faith, I go back to my little vault and I go and I look through my books and I reread the Federalist Papers. Oh, I forgot to show you. This is an early copy of the Federalist Papers um, with letters written by the authors of the Federalist Papers, Madison, Hamilton, and Jay, explaining their views on the Federalist Papers. So it's a very important book written shortly after the adoption of the Constitution. Oh, just two more things before we say goodbye for the day. Um, this is a very early copy of the Constitution of Massachusetts and the Constitution of the United States and George Washington's farewell address. And to move us toward a time when uh, history changes, this book is the actual first edition of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Contained in this book are the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And this was published shortly after the Lincoln-Douglas debates, and it contains every single word that Lincoln spoke and Douglas spoke. And finally, this book, which I will not have time to go into, is the Congressional Acts, the Second Congress, in which something was introduced, 12 amendments to the Constitution, called the Bill of Rights. No, 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 Dershowitz, get it wrong. Bill of Rights is... No, 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 no. When the Bill of Rights was introduced to Congress, it had 12 amendments. The Third Amendment was now the First Amendment. The Second Amendment, which all you gun lovers love, that was the Fourth Amendment. This book proves that. It has all those amendments as proposed, and then it has how every state voted on it. So July 4th, I'm so happy when it's here. I'm sad when it's gone. And can't wait till next year. Celebrate again with you on July 4th. Happy Independence Day.